Welcome to We'll Ride for Wine, a podcast about wine writing and song, but mostly wine and writing, with your hosts, Samantha Graves and Lonnie Diane Rich. Take it away, girls. Thank you, Wanda. Welcome to We'll Ride for Wine. This is Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Samantha Graves. We're here to talk to you about wine and writing. Yes, and today's episode is Epilogues and Prologues to Air is Human to Avoid a Prologue Divine. <laughs> And as usual, we have differing opinions on this topic. <laughs> what exactly constitutes a good reason for an epilogue or a prologue, those types mm-hmm. of things. So, yes, yes. you know, those rules but, are more made to be broken. Right, exactly. There are no rules. That's right. <laughs> it's really more of a guideline. Anyway, um, that's all later on in the program. But first, we have wine. Yes, we do. Solani, what are you drinking tonight? Well, I'm having a 2006 Principato Bianco from Italy Ooh. via Olive Garden, where <laughs> Sam and I had lunch this week and ordered a bottle of wine, not realizing we were getting a Magno. Magno. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Chardonnay Riesling blend, or maybe it's just a Riesling, I don't remember. It doesn't say on the bottle. But we did pay nine, $29.99 would be a bit yeah. much, but $29 mm. for a Magnum. It has 11% alcohol. Mm-hmm. Although while searching online, I believe I found the Magnum for $7.99. So guess who's going into my shout-offs tonight? Wow. I'll, I'll leave you in suspense. It'll be very <laughs> exciting. Anyway, for wine notes, there aren't any on the bottle. Mm-hmm. And without a wine writer, I have to make it up myself. So here Uh-oh. we go. Okay. Um, light to medium-bodied white wine with pretensions of being worth $30 <laughs> when really it can be found on the internet for 8 for a Magnum. <laughs> My notes are actually, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a little on the sweet side, but it's got a nice lemony finish, and uh, I really like it. Yeah, I liked it too. So, I know. It was, yeah. it was very yummy. Yeah. I had a good time with it. Mm-hmm. So um, my overall rating is four glasses. Good. Yes. What are you drinking tonight? Tonight I am drinking a 2004 Smoking Loon Syrah from California. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wine notes are, with inky purple color, this wine reveals scents of wild strawberry, mocha, and caramel. Ooh. With touches of sage and rosemary. The flavors burst through with intense <laughs> blueberry and strawberry jam notes wrapped with a rich French oak and finished with touches of milk chocolate, sweetened cranberries, and savory herbs. I think they just pretty much emptied the refrigerator into this they wine. They threw everything in there. They threw everything they could find into this wine. Do you think they actually taste it? I, I mean, you know, I can't taste it. A lot of times it. it seems like they're just making stuff up. I don't taste any blueberries. <laughs> no blue- and it, Is there know- strawberry jam? No. And I feel a little <laughs> gypped, you know. <laughs> it sounds really good. Although yes. the inky purple thing, yeah, I think the inky purple thing has notes of octopus. <laughs> which I, I'm not sure is something you really want associated with your wine. You know this is true. This is true. Yeah. It's uh, $10 a bottle, 13.5% uh-huh. alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I really like it. Oh, I really, I love Syrahs. Uh, I oh, just, yeah. I love mm-hmm. that, I love that wine, the grape, whatever it is. Right. Um, uh-huh. It's very good. Mm-hmm. And in, in Australia, they call, call it a Shiraz. Right, but it's same the same thing. grape, though. Same mm-hmm, thing, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and you got to love a winery that puts their wa- their website on the front label. Absolutely, saving you all that trouble. Yes. So just for that. <laughs> I have to go hunt these things that, down. Yeah, yeah, between that and the wine, uh-huh. I give it five glasses. <gasps> five glasses from Sam. I know. Wow. It's my first. <laughs> wow. Well, very good. Enjoy it. I will. Well, now that we know what we're drinking, we need to talk about who we love this week. Time for shout-outs and shout-offs. Yes. Our first shout-out is to Will Write for Wine's new BFF, Adrian Pierce. Yay! (laughs) Who is a total sweetheart and gave us a big squee moment this week by sending both Lonnie and I signed copies of her two CDs, which, by the way, are totally, totally great. Oh my god, you, they're amazing! Wonderful. I listen to it all day today, and I'm like, I love it. <laughs> you have got to, you have got to buy these CDs. They are fabulous. Mm-hmm. So, and if you want to hear all about her, go to her website at adrianpierce.com, and I will put that in the show notes. Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. I also have a shout out to Barbara, who sent us Yay. another great site for online games, just in case we ever get sick of Bubble Shooter. <laughs> Which I don't think is ever going to happen. Uh, in fact, I'm proposing a 10-step program called Bubble Shooters Anonymous. 
to help us. The first step is admitting that you have a problem. (laughs) But thank you, Barbara. Yes, thank you, Barbara. And can we put the link that she sent us in the show notes? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, Okay, great. So we can get everybody addicted to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I believe in sharing my addictions. (laughs) Well, anyway, so this week I'm starting out with a shout off. Uh-huh. to Olive Garden for having the nerve to do a 400% markup on an exceedingly <laughs> cheap bottle of wine. I don't care if it's good. I don't care if I like it. <laughs> that is that is quite a markup. It is quite a markup. It's a nervy, nervy markup. Yeah. But I have to say, the Parmesan-crusted tilapia was really good. And mine was fabulous, <laughs> and I had too. A good time. And I had a good time, so yeah. it was worth it. But yeah. still, shame on you, Olive Garden, you greedy <laughs> bastards. Right. And we have to say hi to our waitress, who is Amanda. Oh, yes, Emily. 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 Okay. Yes, Emily was adorable. She was a real sweet. She let us taste like... She was really yeah, good. It's yeah, not your fault, wines. Emily. I no. don't blame you. No. I don't blame you. Yeah. It's your bosses. <laughs> anyway, to end on a more positive note, um, my shout out this week goes to these smart bitches who I have recommended before, and you can find the links in the show notes, who pointed mm-hmm. out an article that Erica Jong wrote in April for Publishers Weekly about the female literary ghetto, from whence this very podcast is being produced right now. <laughs> And we all know that women's fiction in general and romance novels in particular have been marginalized since uh, women first had the nerve to pick up a pen. Mm-hmm. Um, John argues that the only female writers who are taken seriously are the ones who write about war or battle or have some kind of international cachet. Um, and while I agree, I think it goes even deeper than that. I think it's about happy endings. Mm-hmm. I think it's about, it's that emotional lift that the work gives that makes people dismiss it quickly. If something ends with a hopeful message, it's automatically discarded, kit and caboodle. Mm-hmm. Um, John's a little pissed off that the new breed of talented American writers aren't a little more pissed off about it. <laughs> so she writes, <laughs> they may grumble about the chiclet ghetto, but they dare not make a fuss for fear they won't be published at all. Their brashness is real enough, but they accept their packaging as the price of being published. My generation expects more. We did not always get it, but at least categori- categorization outraged us. Where is the outrage now? Well, hmm. I'll tell you, I'm not putting up a stink about it, <laughs> but it's not really for fear of not getting published. Over 50% of the books published today are romance novels, mm-hmm. and if I were outspoken and still selling well, I don't think they'd care. <laughs> they'd still publish me if it's all about the money. Right. Um, the reason I don't make a stink about it is because I'm reaching my audience. My books are about me and my readers, and whether or not the mainstream literary snoots give me my props or not is really not my concern. I just as soon stay under the radar, continue my relationship with my readers as it is. Mm-hmm. I don't need respect, I need readers. Mm-hmm. So, still, Zhang <laughs> makes a lot of great points in her article, and she's dead on. It's just not my battle to wage because I really don't give a crap what the New York Times book review thinks of my work. Machiko Kakatani is not my reader, so why do I care? Um, <laughs> does that sound sour, grapey? <laughs> It kind of does, but you know, I mean, seriously, I honestly like I'm I'm reaching the people that want to read my books, that yes. are interested in my books, that exactly. are going to be moved Who appreciate by what I write. your books. Exactly. Like, that's yeah. all I can really ask. That's if right. people respect what I do who don't read me, mm-hmm. that's, I don't, I don't care one way or the other. Yeah. You know, if they, if, if Oprah wants me on her book club or not, it'd be great. Mm-hmm. Oprah, you can call me if you want. But, um. <laughs> But that's not why I'm in it. I mean, I'm in it to reach my readers, and I'm getting my readers. Yes. So I, I, I don't really care. <laughs> is, that, is that terrible? Does that sound really? No. Should I, should I be more outraged? Should we be outraged? <sighs> I, you know, I, I think that sometimes people just take this too seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, really. I think that, like you said, we're, we're doing what we, wanted, what we set out to do. I didn't set out yeah. to fight someone else's battle. Right. I set out to be a writer to tell Mm -hmm. my stories to you know to do those things and um so i i don't know i don't know i just don't feel i i I don't know i feel like on one hand i feel like you know i should be because it is wrong Mm -hmm. female writers are marginalized romance novels especially are marginalized and there's lots of fabulous fabulous writers out there who deserve yeah respect but know, how many really great how work. many times have you have you heard somebody say oh you know oh, i hate romance novels and then you turn around and you say to them have you ever read one right. and they'll say well no and <laughs> they're just ignorant so that's the attitude yeah. that's what you're fighting against is it worth it how are you ever going like, to win I that battle about those people but those people honestly i mean i don't i really don't care what they think i, just, I don't I, I don't care yeah so, I mean, I feel a little bad about that because I feel like I should. I mean, I feel like Erica Jong is right. <laughs> you know, we should be pissed off about it. I'm just not. But what, what else? What is it going to get us? I don't, I, 
well, I mean, there's, I guess it's the principle of the thing. I'm not mm-hmm. much for, for principle, you know? I mean, I'm like. Well, I am, but, you know, when it, when yeah, it counts. Yeah. When it counts, exactly. You like, know, if I'm, people's I'm lives are on the line, I'm, I can be principled. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if there's something like that, I mean, but to, to fight for something just because you feel you should rather than you really yeah. think it's a big deal. I think that definitely women writers are marginalized. I totally feel that that's the way it is. And I mm-hmm. do agree that it is absolutely wrong. Absolutely. But. I think that Michiko Kakatani, and God bless her, she's the New York mm-hmm. Times book reviewer. She's, you know, she's horribly malicious to people. <laughs> she rips them apart. It's great. <laughs> um, and God bless her. She does what she wants. But, um, but I mean, I think that the mainstream literary people mm-hmm. are um, actually more marginalized than I am. I guess that's what it comes down to is mm-hmm. I'm, I'm reaching the people that I want to reach. Mm-hmm. You know, my readers are out there. They have access to my books. They can go and get them and they're buying them. So, yeah. and I think I that, I think that is winning the battle right. because like, I don't, that's yeah. the one we're fighting, you know? Right. So she wants to take that to, you know, if she wants to fight that battle, that's fine. That's her battle, mm-hmm. you know? But I think sometimes if your heart's not in it, it's not, it's not worth the fight. I guess I feel like I'm letting my sisters down. Mm-hmm. Like I should be more pissed off than, <laughs> than I am, but I feel like I'm I'm reaching my readers, mm-hmm. my the people who are going to read me and who are going to appreciate what I do, mm-hmm. have access to me. Well, and I don't think so, we do let our sisters down. Where I'm always recommending other writers' books right, to people, right? To those because it's the people that I care about are the readers, and, and they're they the ones that are yeah, they're the ones who are interested in reading those books, and I'm always right. happy. To, to recommend your book and, you know, oh, Jenny yeah. Cruz's books and, mm-hmm. you know, writers that I love, yeah. um, I absolutely will recommend oh, yeah. them. And I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's as good, that's pretty much as far as my reach is going to get. All right. So, so I should get over my guilt about that then. Right? I think so. I feel bad for not being more pissed off, but I feel like I'm reaching people and how many mm-hmm. people are reading the New York Times book review, like yeah. a bunch of intellectual now, snobs and who cares? Now, if you're, if you're telling that me wrong? that... <laughs> That we were making less money than those writers, than those other writers, whoever they may be. All writers are starving. Right. So, I mean, for that, I would fight because I think that's an injustice. You know, yeah. I think that's a very clear-cut mm-hmm. injustice. But but these men, but, these male writers that write these, you know, obscure literary novels, and then mm-hmm. Oprah picks them up, mm-hmm. and they, you know, because somebody dies or gets raped. I mean, God bless Oprah, but mm-hmm. every single book is like this miserable children molested thing. I can't stand them. I, I can't read I, them I don't want to read about that. I don't want to, you know, I don't mm-hmm. want to talk about that. It's just horrible. Like, I don't want to be horrified. I get enough of that in the news. Right. I you don't know? want to be horrified in my downtime. I want right. to be uplifted exactly. in my downtime. Exactly. And that's why I write the books that I write. Mm-hmm. And they reach the people that want to read them. There are loads of people out there who don't want to read my books. Well, good. Mm-hmm. Read something else. You know? <laughs> and that's great. That's what America is all about. That's right. That is freedom Wonderful. of speech and freedom, freedom to write. And, and you know, the people who are choosing, more people buy... Um, romance novels than any other kind of novel out there. Eighty percent mm-hmm. of the people buying novels are women. Yeah. So I guess. Well, and what's funny is that the numbers speak for themselves, and but yeah. it's like everybody ignores the numbers. You know. Well, so, I mean, but we the know like, the numbers. Yeah. I think as writers, we know we understand those numbers, mm-hmm. and we're like, that is. I, that's why I don't feel like I have to fight the battle. Because yeah. it's there. It's already done. If people don't, if people want to ignore those numbers, mm-hmm. that's up to them. And I don't think that people who would otherwise read a romance novel mm-hmm. are going to not read it because some literary snob says blah, blah, blah about yeah. it. Like, I don't think we're losing out. I think that there's respect and there's probably some number of sales that, um, you know, that people, like, people who say, I, I've never read a romance novel, and then, mm-hmm. like, you ask them if they've ever, or they say, I never would, and they say, have you ever read a romance novel? And they say no, because they've, they're prejudging it. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of people who are prejudging it. But I'm not sure that those are our readers, anyway. I'm right. not sure that those are the kinds of people who right. read Right. I mean, read so what's the battle for? Right. I mean, yeah, as long as I'm... So, so, I don't know. Anyway, we're babbling on and on. If you have an opinion, <laughs> please send it to feedback at Will Write for Wine. Not only will you be able to mouth off to us and tell us why we're wrong, but you'll also be able to get entered in our lovely giveaway. That's right. At the end of this uh, this podcast, we'll be announcing our new giveaway winner. So, mm-hmm. very exciting. Anyway, okay. I think that covers us. <laughs> Shout-outs and shout-offs. It's probably the longest A block we've ever done. As ever. We start, you know, but anyway, I do have a little bit of guilt, but I'll try to get over it. Okay. Anyway, we will be back in a minute. At Will Write for Wine, we want to make it perfectly clear that we do not encourage excessive drinking. Excessive drinking is bad. 
It hurts you, it hurts your family, it totally screws with your ability to put lipstick on properly, and we do not encourage it. A little drinking, though? Now that's a different thing. After all, wine is good for you, right? It's good for your heart, it's good for your cholesterol, it's loaded with antioxidants. And sometimes, when you've had a really long, exhausting day, and your kids are making you nuts, and your husband has forgotten to take out the trash again, and you start to become what some people might consider a little edgy, in that case, having some wine is a kindness. A public service, even. So just remember that we here at Will Write for Wine do not encourage excessive drinking. We do, however, encourage you to not beat your husband over the head with a garbage can lid, and if it takes a little bit of wine to prevent that, then we suggest a light Chardonnay. And we're back. I'm Samantha Graves. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Will Write for Wine. The bra burning episode. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get up on a soapbox. Yeah, you should have heard us between the blocks because we were like, we were still (laughs) doing. The good thing she's never going to review our book. (laughs) I don't think that'll ever happen. Not a worry. All right. Okay. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. now it's time for our Will Write for Wine question and answer. And providing the question this week is Samantha Kerr. Or Stephanie. Stephanie. Oh, my God. Hi, Stephanie. Oh, hi, Stephanie. Sam, take a drink. That's okay. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong, like Samantha, Stephanie, Samantha, you know, they're so close. Yeah, exactly. Well, the Kurs is the, I don't know how to pronounce yeah. it. Well, yeah, well, I have friends who don't have the E at the end, and their name is just Kurs. But, but I don't know if this is Kurzy e. or, yeah, I exactly. don't know. Exactly, Kurzy. Kurzy sounds cool. Yeah, it does like sound Kersey. cool. I like Kurzy. So we're going to you know call what? her Stephanie Kurzy. Yeah, Stephanie Kurzy. Okay. Email us and tell us we're wrong, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> we need emails. We don't care what they are. <laughs> Correcting us. Well, anyway, her question is, everyone talks about how important scene and sequel is, but I have never heard anyone actually explain what it is or how to make sure you're doing it properly. Can you help or do I need to know the super secret handshake first? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, Steph. (laughs) No handshake necessary, babe. Um, And unfortunately, I can't really answer your question because um i don't know that much about scene and sequel me neither i've heard about it like you and mm-hmm. i honestly haven't paid that much attention to the best of my understanding it's that your character does something disaster ensues and then they have to sit and think about it while they take a breath and react mm-hmm. um for all you adamant scene and sequelers out there you know please feel free write in educate me uh, us, because us. i've never understood how having your character take time out of the story to specifically react to something that's happened is really helpful mm-hmm. i mean i don't know it doesn't make sense to me um mm-hmm. i like as little sitting and thinking as possible and in, in the books that i read so characters react by what they do and while yeah there are moments when they need to take a breath and kind of react to things i don't think you need to tell writers to do that i think a lot of beginning writers do a little too much of that as Mm -hmm. a matter of fact but anyway that's not really my point my point is this um there are a lot of people out there who claim they can tell you how to write and they cannot they can only tell you what has worked for them Mm -hmm. um for some people scene and sequel is a great tool that really helps them for you it's apparently not your thing so don't sweat it it's not my thing either or it could be that it's not the right time for you to embrace this idea a year from now two years from now you and i could both be marveling at its genius but for now (laughs) my advice is this just write learn how to write by writing and if you come across a theory that resonates for you then it's the right thing for you at that time um if you come across a theory that doesn't resonate which seems to be the case with scene and sequel and has been the case for me then it's either not for you at all or not for you at this time so don't sweat it just write yeah and i wholeheartedly agree because scene and sequel is not my thing either in Mm -hmm. fact i've never even heard of it until you mentioned it (laughs) you never heard of it and i've been doing this for what nine years now i have (laughs) six books out Uh you know you know i can see if the scene happens in one of the characters point of view and then the sequel happens in the other characters point of view maybe you want to address your reaction you know to the scene that way Mm -hmm. but sometimes you can really overthink writing hallelujah sister (laughs) there here's a simple rule if something someone tells you uh to try uh freezes you so you can't write then Mm -hmm. that's not for you 
Right. Forget Mm -hmm. about it and move on until you find something that really works for you. Sooner Mm -hmm. or later, you will develop your own personal arsenal of writing tools. So, in the meantime, try everything. Keep what works. Get rid of the rest. Right. Excellent. So, we've managed to answer a question by not answering the question. (laughs) (laughs) But thanks for the question, Stephanie. (laughs) To get your question on the show and not answered, send them in to feedback at willwriteforwine.com. Now for this week's We Recommend segment. Yes, each week we're going to recommend something. Music, books, Mm -hmm. movies, TV shows, websites, whatever that we love so we can share them with you. Sam, what are you recommending this week? This week I'm recommending graphic novels. Yay. Yay. I have been a comic book fan since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So when I discovered graphic novels as an adult, I was mm-hmm. thrilled. And I have to say that I have become somewhat obsessed with them. <laughs> I probably have 20 or 30 or 40 of them now. Oh, wow. <laughs> Mostly uh, superheroes. Uh-huh. And uh, much to my delight, the graphic novels are becoming huge, mm-hmm. uh, filling a void for older readers like me and, and younger readers, too, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to buy comic books again. Right. This has mm-hmm. really revived the whole comic book industry. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. format, the paper, the illustrations are fabulous. Mm-hmm. And a graphic novel can combine uh, an entire comic book series. You get to read the whole thing at once, which is great, which is worth paying for. Oh, Because yeah. there's nothing mm-hmm. that sucks more than reading a piece of it, you know, mm-hmm. and then, oh, next month you get the rest of it. It's like, oh, crap. <laughs> I know. I'm doing the Buffy season eight right now, yeah. those comics. And um, I, I know you don't, you haven't yet fallen to Buffy, but you will. I um, might with the graphic novels. Isn't that weird? <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Well, you know, everybody's got their own thing, but I will mm-hmm. get you on Buffy. I okay. will get you hooked on Buffy. I got you hooked on yeah. Bubble Shooter. <laughs> My power is limitless. But, um, but yeah, no, I'm doing the Buffy stuff right now, and we, we're subscribed to it. And so every couple mm-hmm. of weeks, you know, we get a new, uh, a new you know, episode, and it's uh, like, they're just too short. So I know. when it all gets put together, it's going to be really, really great. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Very so. cool. Okay. All right. Well, I, this week, am recommending Netflix.com. Now, I know oh. most of you probably either have already used Netflix or are, currently have it. But still, despite the fact that it has permeated most every household in America, I'm going to recommend it anyway. <laughs> because I just, I used to use it. And then, you know, we got the, the big digital cable with 800,000 channels and I just couldn't justify it. And then um, now that, you know, there's nothing on in the summertime, I, I signed up for it again and discovered that not only do they, you know, as usual, pay for all your shipping. All you have to do is run down to your mailbox and pick them up and put them back. And it's so easy. And they've got great customer service and just fabulous, fabulous service. But... Mm-hmm. With a broadband connection, you can also watch movies online. They give you, for every dollar you spend, so say, you know, you spent $20 a month on whatever your, you know, um, whatever your deal is with them, whatever your subscription is, then you get that many hours, so 20 hours of, um, of viewing time that you can just mm. watch stuff. Cool. Um, um, it's so great. And their online service, um, their online stuff is, you know how everything, every time you do any kind of multimedia online, everything always crashes yeah. or it's slow or whatever. I haven't had that experience at all. It just plays. It doesn't suck up system resources. I mean, I cannot believe how good the service is. So I'm cool. telling everybody, Netflix.com, babe. Go. <laughs> Go. And that's it for We Recommend. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in flash. <laughs> A sexy international art thief with a license to steal and a past she can't escape. An ex-cop with a murder to avenge and nothing left to lose. A calculating killer launches a deadly game. From the heat of Havana to the streets of New York City, the race for justice is on. Sight unseen by Samantha Graves, now available at a store near you. Thanks for coming back with us. I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Samantha Graves. And this is We'll Write for Wine. Mm-hmm. I love Tonight's that part. show <laughs> is about prologues and epilogues. So, first, we should define them for you. Mm-hmm. A prologue is a brief scene at the beginning of a story which sets up the rest of the story. An epilogue is a brief scene at the end of the story which provides closure on all the major players, tells what happened to them after the story ended, that type of thing. 
Right. We actually came up with the idea for the show when we were doing the Finding Nemo show. Uh, we <laughs> went out to dinner and started discussing the prologue in Finding Nemo. Um, I'm not really a prologue Nazi or anything, but more often than not, I, I kind of think they're unnecessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just delay us getting into the action, especially uh, when they're told from the point of view of a character who is not the main character in the story. However, as we were discussing the Finding Nemo prologue, both Sam and I agreed the prologue was absolutely necessary because without it, we wouldn't understand Marlon's motivation for being so overprotective. It also set up Nemo's bad fin and gave that significance. Right. And and also, there was no good opportunity to explain this in a way that would be as powerful or 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 tell it as, as well as actually showing it happen. Right. So it was very mm-hmm. powerful the way it happened. Right. And I think mm-hmm. every parent understood mm-hmm. at that moment. So at that moment, you had all the parents. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yes. From the beginning of that movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what's unusual for me about tonight's discussion is that I haven't exactly decided 100% how I feel about prologues and epilogues. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never done either one, uh, but I won't rule them out either, because as soon as you say never, you get hit in the head with a book that demands it. Right. <laughs> I know that in general, um, I think a lot of prologues are, are unnecessary. They don't pull their weight. They don't contribute to the story. They don't start where the trouble starts. Um, this is a big thing, starting the story where the trouble starts. And while yes. it sounds simple, it's actually extremely challenging. I mean, if you're hard enough at it, you can argue the trouble's origins all the way back to the birth of the villain. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen people do it. It's not pretty, I'm telling you. But for me, it's really about the present situation of the hero and or the heroine at the mm-hmm. moment that starts the present story. Right. That begins their journey. Exactly. So, I mean, a really good example of this is the first chapter of the first Harry Potter book, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, which actually, I will argue, is not a chapter, but a prologue. Mm. Um, It starts the night that Harry is saved as a baby, um, put in his aunt and uncle's care, which is a full 10 years before Harry is called to Hogwarts. Um, It's told in an omniscient point of view, which means that we watch everyone from afar rather than experience it experiencing it through the eyes of any one particular character mm-hmm. um and even then mostly it's about the dursleys um which are not mm-hmm. what harry is about you know and uh the trouble starts when harry is called to hogwarts for the for the bigger story and from that point forward everything is told from harry's point of view mm-hmm. um so the 10-year lull in activity is a really good indi- indicator that your trouble starts later I, right. I, I mean well with finding nemo there's a pretty good lull between you know when when he's born but there's mm-hmm. There's a real powerful thing. It's told from the point of view of Marlon. Yes. You know, um, and so I think that And that's, it's really Marlon's book. It is. Marlon's mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. You know, and so with Harry Potter, um, it's, it's not his experience. He doesn't even remember it. Right. You know, it is important to the story, but it's information that is revealed over and over again later in the story. Um, with Marlon and Nemo, they never talk about what happened, um, mm-hmm. except for when Marlo says they promised he'd never let anything happen to Nemo. Right. And that would be the point in the story if they didn't have the prologue, where he'd have to stop and explain, you know, th- that this is what happened and his mother right. died and there was a barracuda right. and all Which that Which would be a horrible thing to tell. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not a horrible thing to tell your child, mm-hmm. but to have to say that is, is, is very difficult to explain that without terrifying that. You know what I mean? Well, right. But I think that the moment when, when they would probably have to do that, if they didn't have the prologue, it would be that moment in the whale's mm-hmm. mouth where Dory's Right, but saying, he's not even you know, saying it to Nemo. He's saying it to, you know what I mean? To Dory. Exactly. Like, there's yeah. just so much that you don't need to explain because that yes. moment is so powerful. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of it has to do with the power of that moment that you don't have to stop the action to explain it. But in Harry Potter, right. since it's all Harry's point of view and he doesn't know any of this, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, um, that, well, uh, and, and that moment was really mm-hmm. important to Marlon more than it was to Nemo. Oh yeah. Cause you know Nemo what I mean? Remember it. It's right. Marlon's, exactly. it's Marlon's Same moment thing. and it explains so much and it's so incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the Harry Potter thing with that opening chapter, which is a prologue and plus it happens after the action happens. I mean, the real big action on that night mm-hmm. was when Voldemort killed Harry's parents. You know, oh, right. spoiler alert for the oh. <laughs> two of you who haven't read every Harry Potter thing for the two people out there who haven't read Harry Potter. Um, spoiler alert. Or seen anyway, the movie. 
Yeah. Exactly. Or seen the movies. <laughs> but it's when, you know, I mean, the big moment of that night, the big action of that night, if you're mm-hmm. going to do the prologue, do the big moment. Do the moment that Voldemort comes in and kills Harry's parents and it's his mother that saves him. You know, and but the reality is that, you know, you've got this moment, this quiet moment mm-hmm. when Harry is placed in the care of the Dursleys. Right. You know, and there's nothing, there's nothing in that prologue yeah, no. which contributes to the story. Right. It basically just wastes time. Now, I mean, I'm not going to say ever that these aren't wonderful books and wonderful mm-hmm. stories, but I think that that was a poor choice. Mm. I don't think that's a strong way to start out that story. I think yeah. if you're going to start it out with the night 10 years ago, it has to be at that most powerful moment. Yes. When the actual, when they're actually, get, even if you're going to tell for omniscient, you want to see that happen. And then yeah, 10 exactly. years later, you find out that Harry has been given to his whatever and, you know, to his aunt and uncle and, you know. Exactly. And the introduction to the Dursleys is so much more um, more effective and powerful when you're actually talking to them. You actually see right. them. In the, I mean, you know, it just it describes who they are and it describes the, you know, what happened. And then you see McGonagall and, you know, Dumbledore and they're mm-hmm. trying to place the baby and Hagrid shows up, you know. And so it introduces a lot of characters. I think it's really wholly unnecessary. And I think that really here is your rule of thumb. If you can hack the prologue or the epilogue out and the story stands on its own, then you don't need it. And I think most of the time that's the case with prologues and epilogues. And Mm -hmm. I think that the reason why people generally kind of knee jerk to no prologues, you know, at Mm -hmm. all is because um, so many people will put in a prologue because they want to explain a little bit of backstory or, right. you know, there's, there's something that they, there's a moment that they want to show you. And I don't mm-hmm. think that, I think that most cases the prologue is unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I say this because I've never <laughs> written one and I'm completely putting Sam on the spot because in your first book, right, it was un- Unchained was your the, first my, book. It right? was the only book that I ever put a prologue in. And what was interesting mm-hmm. about Unchained was that I wrote the whole book. Mm-hmm. After I had the book written and I got all the feedback, I realized that I had to put a prologue in, mm-hmm. that it was necessary. I had too many people asking me, well, why is she like this? I couldn't adequately ex- explain this heroine or what right. happened to her mm-hmm. on, you know, what happened to her to trigger this whole this whole book mm-hmm. so I actually went back and wrote the prologue after I had finished the book and what happens mm-hmm. in the prologue is Sidra's father is um, a very important military man on her mm-hmm. planet which is basically mm-hmm. a military type of government mm-hmm. and the night one night her her home was attacked mm-hmm. by her own by their own people Oh, mm-hmm. by his people, by, mm-hmm. by the military, and her entire family was murdered, mm-hmm. and she escaped. Mm-hmm. She escaped through a tunnel that w- the whole family, because, you know, they were in this type of world, um, mm-hmm. they had planned ahead for any type of, you know, disaster that strike, mm-hmm. that might strike, and she actually escaped mm-hmm. through this dark tunnel. It's a terrifying thing for her, and she's like 16 mm-hmm. years old, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. And she waited in the safe house for the rest of her family, mm-hmm. and they never showed up. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. And that moment changed her. She's 16 mm-hmm. years old. She went from mm-hmm. being a 16-year-old to a fugitive yeah. in her own world, mm-hmm. to a hated fugitive. Her father mm-hmm. was blamed for something that he didn't do. Yeah. Her whole mm-hmm. family was paid the price for that. Mm-hmm. He did, and the whole family, and that's the yeah. way they did it. Mm-hmm. So... She became a fugitive on her own world. She became a warrior mm-hmm. for, and she worked at it for that one moment when mm-hmm. she might be able to 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 um, take revenge on this, yeah. to find an well, answer why. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually it works really well in Unchained. I mean, one mm-hmm. thing, it's blissfully brief. Yes, it's, it's which is literally a, one page front and back. That's it. Right. One it, page. It's blissfully brief. And it mm-hmm. also starts, it's very action-packed. It grabs you. The thing about prologues is that I think sometimes people want to use them to describe, you know, to explain certain backstory. Like, there's always one of the things as authors that is, you know, the bane of our existence is the mm-hmm. freaking backstories. Like, you know, right. you know so much more about your characters than the readers are ever going to know. There's so mm-hmm. much information that you have that you only need to, you only keep the, you keep the readers on a need-to-know basis. Right. And the thing with the prologue is that it violates the need-to-know basis in a lot of cases. I think that with Unchained, 
you've got a situation like with Nemo where there's this incredibly powerful moment, mm-hmm. you know, where um, this basically is a moment that completely changes and forms this character and that yes. that moment really informs everything that she does from that point forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's uh, it's really well done, you know, I mean, as Thank far as, as prologues go. Um, right. You know, like the Harry Potter prologue, I think, is an example of something that's very poorly done, even mm-hmm. though, you know, J.K. Rowling calls it chapter one and she's the writer, so she gets final say <laughs> about whether it's a prologue or not. But <laughs> it's a prologue. Sorry, it's a prologue. Um, but uh, but I mean, I think that it's it's really effective. One of the things that um, that you need to do as a writer is that you know your first page your first sentence your first paragraph your first page Mm -hmm. that's all you get to get that reader into your story and i think that in a a poorly done prologue will waste that precious precious time also that you can you know pass on information that may or may not be necessary i think that you know for a prologue to be good it has to be a really powerful moment Mm-hmm. That has to inform the story, you know, the way the, the the main character goes. I think it needs to be in the main character's point of view. You had a prologue yes. with the antagonist's point of view. I mean, I guess in some romantic suspenses, sometimes that works. But yeah. I still, I still don't think that it does. I think that the first point of view that we need to be in needs to be your main character. It needs to be the character that we're going to be with. Mm-hmm. Because you imprint on that character immediately. Yes. You know, you put, it takes a lot of effort. It takes more effort for a reader to read the first five pages of a book than any of the subjects subsequent pages because they have to get to know all these people they get introduced to people they have to remember who people are and i think that the first person that you're with that guides you through this book that's the person you attach to and if that is not your main character if it is not you know if it's like your antagonist or if it's a secondary character if it's the dursleys Mm -hmm. you know which are like these side characters that he only sees in the summers which are still you know they're still antagonists for a Mm -hmm. lot of the story but but still i mean they're not you know they're 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 big characters but they're not the main main character mm-hmm. so i think that that will kill you i think a, a, a bad prologue will kill you and there are a lot of bad prologues out there yeah so yeah. that's that's my personal thing is that you know like it, you know like you wrote that whole book and you still felt right compelled to write that prologue and well, that prologue probably needed to be there i actually had feedback from readers who couldn't mm-hmm. understand why she was so bound to this mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. she would expose herself I mean, she's yeah. like she's a wanted person yeah mm-hmm. you know there are people out there who will do anything to kill her yeah. she exposes mm-hmm. herself and they're mm-hmm. like well why would she do that why wouldn't she just you know but the thing is you had to understand why she did it and you have and to I couldn't do that, that any other way i don't think that that's a moment that you can you know ex- explain to somebody exactly. else and she never Explain did. She never dialogue. explained it to mm-hmm. anybody else. Everybody mm-hmm. else knew. Yeah. Everybody mm-hmm. knew that her family was murdered. Mm-hmm. They all knew that. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but she, she escaped. They didn't know. I mean, if they found out that she was still alive, they'd want to kill her. You know yeah. what I mean? So, so, so the reader needs to experience that moment. I think that, yes. I think that there's a really good argument for that prologue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the only one I ever wrote. I didn't see a need mm-hmm. to write another prologue and another yeah. story. I think, mm-hmm. I, I think that's when her, when her trouble began, when she became a marked person. Right. Mm-hmm. That was when her trouble began. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so and I, I actually, chapter one is when her, her opportunity arises. Yeah. And that's 10 years later. 10 years mm-hmm. later. Yeah. Right. So. Okay, okay. So I think that's good. So epilogues. Okay. Okay. Again, <laughs> I haven't done the epilogues. And this is not saying, you know, I'm so pure and good and wonderful because I've never done it. It's just that I haven't had a book that's, yeah. that's required. Well, and yet. I think you and I look at epilogues a little bit different. I, we do. Um, I like to look at epilogues. Uh, let's put it this way. What I do is I write the book mm-hmm. and I write it up to the end, right? Not the epilogue. And then I hand it off to my beta readers and I ask right. them if there's anything they wanted answered in the end. Is there anything mm-hmm. that needs to be tied up? If yeah. you know, or it, whatever, if they come back to me with something I feel demands an answer mm-hmm. or they, where they feel that the character, they want to know if the character actually, you know, really did come around in the mm-hmm. end. If mm-hmm. they, you know, they wanted some answers to some things, then I will put them in. Or if I killed off a character that they absolutely want back. Yeah. <laughs> like Reen. Like Reen, who I received like three death threats. <laughs> you better bring him back. I was like, now that oh was my a God. spaceship in, oh God, was it? It was a spaceship. Earth or Unleashed. Yeah, in Unleashed. Unleashed, and okay. He was a, it was a spaceship. I mean, it was a computer, mm-hmm. and I kept trying to explain. No, this he is wasn't just a, a spaceship, though. He was he a was computer a, with a personality. The spaceship and he was, was uh, like, he was like a character. Horse. 
He was, was like a the character. Lone Ranger's horse. He was a character. I know. I know. know? So, and yeah. for some reason, it was like it was like a pet. It was mm-hmm. almost like a cat or a dog. I mean, people looked at this character and they loved him. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. yeah, so I was afraid of the emails. I had to write an epilogue for that. But anyway, <laughs> um, in Unraveled, my beta readers needed to know what race was going to do with the space station. Now he had right. started mm-hmm. building the space station at the beginning of the book, mm-hmm. and basically all he wanted to do was set himself up as a legitimate businessman because he'd really mm-hmm. been a rogue up until that point. Right. He wanted mm-hmm. to make money. He wanted to get mm-hmm. rich off of rich people. And that would pretty mm-hmm. much was his only motivation. Right. By the end of the story, though, he had um, he had changed so much. Mm-hmm. And, and what he ended up doing, and what I did in the epilogue, was I opened the space station as the Miranda Foundation, which was for his sister who had right. died. Mm-hmm. from a disease mm-hmm. that, that there was a cure for that they couldn't afford. Right. Um, he he struggled with that anger, mm-hmm. and with her death through the whole story, it really was what made him who he was as a character. Right. Mm-hmm. So in the end, when he opens the space station mm-hmm. as a research center and a medical center for people who couldn't afford it and that type of thing, and the and the thing the reason why I did it I had to do it as an epilogue was because the space station in the beginning of the book or during the story um, really was not developed. But uh, so there was a very long time lapse between the mm-hmm. end of the story yeah. when the space station would be open, and mm-hmm. that's why I mm-hmm. felt that it deserved an epilogue. I didn't want to do a chapter where it said, "Okay, one year later," you a know. Year later. But in that, see, I think you could do in, that. But in that, I'm it not wasn't sure even that the that epilogue ro- is not a final. Chapter. Well, you know, and mm-hmm. the thing is, that wasn't even the romance part of it. I mean, yes, it did end; they were yeah. happily ever after, and all that. But that mm-hmm. was more about race. That was more about his character and how far he had come, and how he found yeah. peace. And I think mm-hmm. that opening, that's how we found peace. And I felt that it, that it was right. necessary. My readers did, too. My beta readers did, too. Mm-hmm. So I think in that case, that was just Well, you don't have to defend yourself. <laughs> just because I don't like prologues and epilogues doesn't mean I'm right. But the funny thing is, I mean, I wrote epilogues uh-huh. for my first four books. But I have right. not mm-hmm. written epilogues for my last three books. So why'd you stop? Why'd you stop writing epilogues? Um, I don't know. I think in contemporary, I think I just didn't need it. And then in the last mm-hmm, unmasked, mm-hmm. I felt that I really answered what I needed to answer. Everything was yeah. on the table. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Everything and was, was yes, resolved. Yes. Yeah. But mm-hmm, sometimes mm-hmm. I also like epilogues um, th- because they show rather than tell. You know, I mean, you mm-hmm. could have at the end of a chapter of the book, you could say, oh, well, let's do this and let's do that. And let's, you know, mm-hmm. do this with our lives together and our relationship, blah, blah, blah. You know, and you could mm-hmm. say it or you can show it. And I kind of like an epilogue yeah. to show it because it's kind of showing versus telling, you know. So well, you know, I, I, under, I understand mm-hmm. that. I, here's here's my thing with epilogues. One, I don't think they're as great a sin as prologues right. <laughs> because <laughs> they're at the end of the book, and I'm already invested in the mm-hmm. characters, and so I, you know, and I can choose if I want to read the epilogue mm-hmm. or not. The prologue is pretty much forced upon exactly. me. So, you know, if I don't like epilogues, I don't have to read it, and I can just shut up about right. it. So there's that. Um, also, I feel like if your story is done, mm-hmm. you know, epilogues to me feel like extra, extra little mm-hmm. bits that you don't necessarily need. That the story is finished on the last page of the book and the epilogue is like, well, you know, you know, they're going to live happily ever after. Here are the specifics of how they mm-hmm. did it, you know. And to me, in a book, I'm really... As a reader and a writer, I'm very much a need-to-know kind of person. Like, at the end of your book, you know, I know there's a happily ever after. I just need the hint. I don't need to know specifically yeah, how they Yeah, see, I, need, I, I like to, I need know, to know, though. I like to know. Well, so I think see, it's maybe just more of a personal preference. It may thing. just be a yeah. personal taste right. thing. I don't know. I mean, I really honestly don't have a, a strong argument mm-hmm. against... Epilogues, prologues. I think you really have to meet some some basic requirements to make it make it worth it. Um, In the end, you know about writing. I think that there are you know there are rules that exist, and you know I want to say rules with like little finger quotes, Mm -hmm. but those are obnoxious. But you know (laughs) rules. because every every rule can be broken. There are times where um, you know any anything you do, everything's on the table right. as a writer, as an artist, everything's on mm-hmm. the table. You know, um, 
there are some people that can that can pull stuff off and that it works in their book and it doesn't work for me, you know, whatever, and that's fine. Um, there are some books that I can read, like uh, Jennifer Cruz's Bet mm-hmm. Me had an epilogue in it. And I love the epilogue. But I mean, the thing is that the epilogue was, uh, Bette was written as a, you know, and, and Jenny will be the first to say this is a cheesy romance, you know, that she really wanted to write as a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Just go all out, no holds barred. I mean, everything, everything's on the table. And the thing is, she opened the book with Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. She wrote it as a fairy tale. And at the end, I mean, fairy tales have epilogues. Yeah. It's how they're told, yeah. you know, and this is how they lived happily ever after. And that mm-hmm. was great. You know, and it doesn't bother me. And, and Unraveled, I would argue the, you know, the, the final of the space station I think the only reason why you call it an epilogue is because of that year in between Um, but I really don't feel that it's an epilogue I feel like it's a final part of the chapter because the story isn't complete until Race has finished his arc and his arc finishes when they open the Miranda space station so I don't think it's an epilogue. I think that we're, we're arguing semantics Just on your there. copy, just because cross out epilogue right in chapter 30. Chapter 30, I will. I'm going to do that right now, as a matter of fact. No, what I'm going to do is the next time we go out to Olive Garden uh-huh. and get overcharged for a bottle of wine, I'm going to make you do it. <laughs> <laughs> but see, I don't know that it's... But I don't see, know for that me, I, I need to know that it, was, that it was a year later. I, need, I mean, for an epilogue, for me, is, is a certain amount of time. And I think we're getting into syntax here. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I think we're arguing semantics because my definition of an epilogue is something that's completely independent of the story. Mm -hmm. It's a, this is how they did happily ever after. So-and-so went and did this. Like we're talking about Animal House. At the end of Animal House (laughs) where the story is complete and then they've got the freeze frames of the guys and they're like, oh, and John Belushi became a senator or whatever, you know. that It's it's information that's nice but unnecessary. Oh, I thought it was necessary. No, I thought it was necessary. I loved it. I, I thought See, it was perfect. I don't think perfect. That that's necessary. I think it's a nice, funny mm-hmm. little thing. But, I mean, I don't think it was necessary. With the epilogue in Unraveled, mm-hmm. I, I think it's necessary for us to see race finish his yes. arc and his arc finishes when the Miranda space station opens. Mm-hmm. And so because it is a continuation of his arc yeah. and it needs to be in there, it is not an epilogue. It's a chapter. Hmm. But, again... <laughs> You know, semantics. Again, I don't think the epilogues are as big a sin as a, as a, a poorly chosen prologue. Mm-hmm. And I think that most of the prologues that are out there are necessary. Well, the, the that's, problem that's with, the, with the prologue, with a, with a bad prologue, mm-hmm. is that that is the opening mm-hmm. of your book. It's supposed to be the most powerful moment. You need to grab yeah, people, right? The exactly. First, you, have you don't get a just second the first chance. Page. And I mean... And, you know, as I sit here rambling on about, this is the way you should do it. You know, I mean, I'm the biggest. Like, anybody who reads my books can find sucky openings. Time Off for Good Behavior is the suckiest opening ever. You know what? That's okay. It's a great book. The book is great. If you can just get past the first couple of paragraphs. But, you know, now that I'm, I've been doing this for a while, I am trying to make my openings mm-hmm. work a little bit better yeah. and be a little more grabby. And, you know, and no prologues, you know, no, no explanation. I just get right into the story. Right. Start where the trouble That's starts. Right. You know, and zoom on out from there. And so, you know, I mean, that's kind of that's kind of how I see mm-hmm. it. Um, but I think that there's a lot of wiggle room. There's a lot of room to argue. Mm-hmm. And essentially what I find most of the time when I start arguing these points with people is that it comes down to semantic. It comes down to I seeing epilogues one thing and you seeing epilogues exactly. another. But all in all, I, I think the epilogues are, you know, I think if you're going to go, if you're going <laughs> to sin... Epilogues of venial mm-hmm. sin, prologues are mortal. You know, I mean, Jeez. <laughs> wait. <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, I think that the prologue in Unchained works, and I think that the um, the prologue in Nemo yes. works, and I think that those are those are examples of where, where it, works. it works. I think that the first chapter of Harry Potter is an example where that really could have been cut, and I don't think anybody would have right. missed it. Right. You know. Okay. So I mean, that's I think I think that's your your rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. If you can cut it, nobody will miss it. Right. You know, which actually is, is really true. I mean, how many books do you read, like, when you're doing critiques for people, yeah. and they send you the first three chapters, you're like, cut the first three chapters, yeah. you, your story starts I on know, page 40. and nobody wants to hear it, but unfortunately, yeah. Oh, it's it heartbreaking. Lot, so. But it's the truth. Yeah. It's the truth, and it happens mm-hmm. a lot, because we're trying to, we, we have all this backstory, all this information that we know, mm-hmm. but, you know, you have to keep, I think it, it all comes down to keeping the reader on a need-to-know basis. You know, just only give them what they absolutely need to do. If the if the reader can come to a conclusion on their own, let them do mm-hmm. it. You know, because it gets the reader more involved in the story. When I'm hand-fed everything in a book, I find it so frustrating. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I get it. I get it. Thanks. Let's go. <laughs> you know, let's move on. Of course, I am also, you know, before anybody takes my advice, please keep in mind that I'm the most impatient reader <laughs> and writer. 
I mean, I get in my story, I make my point, and I get out. I'm the same way with, with reading. I just have no patience. Like, you know, I get it. Let's move on. I know. I know what's going on. Let's move on. So I don't like to have too much, you know, hand fed mm-hmm. to me. That's kind of the way that I am. So I'm okay. You know, I'm like that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's your grain of salt you should take before you take any of my advice. <laughs> All right, and that's our discussion on prologues and epilogues. Uh, Time for more wine. We're going to take a quick break to refill, and we'll see you in exactly 60 seconds. For 29 years, Carly McKay has known that her mother was never coming back. Her father was never going to file for divorce. Her little sister was never going to grow up, and that psychics were full of crap. This year, all that changes. From award-winning author Lonnie Diane Rich comes The Fortune Quilt, a heartwarming story about family, psychics, love, and quilts, and what happens when they all collide at once. Publishers Weekly calls The Fortune Quilt vibrant. Kirkus Reviews calls it beguiling. And you can call it yours if you just head on down to your local bookstore because it's available now. Pick up your copy today. Thanks for coming back. I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Samantha Graves. And this is Will Write for Wine. D block. Favorite part. The D block. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. We should have some kind of sound effect of doom at the beginning of the D block because oh, we always we screw it up. Yeah, like right, the well. Titanic or something. Or the Jaws, you know. <laughs> I love that. We totally should. We need to have some kind of sound effect of doom at the beginning of the D block. Anyway, want to win some great prizes? Yes, I do. I'm so glad you said that. Head on down to willwriteforwine.com and give us some feedback. Yes. We're looking for questions, wine suggestions, or just general commentary on the show. We're not picky. Mm-hmm. Each month, all eligible entries will go into a wine bucket. At the end of the month, we'll pull out a name, and uh, that person will win a fabulous prize. And I've already screwed up the D-block. We're like 10 seconds in. Excellent. Yes. Speaking of prizes... Our June prize winner of Wildflower by Cheryl Crow mm-hmm. and a signed copy of Unraveled by C.J. Berry, which is also yes. Samantha Graves. For those of you who have not gotten the connection yet, even though we <laughs> mention all the time, um, our winner is dun, 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 Janet Tramp. Congratulations, Janet. Congratulations, Janet. Email us with your mailing address so we can send out those fabulous prizes to you. For <laughs> July, we have an ARC. ARC for Lonnie's October release, Crazy in Love, which is fabulous, <laughs> and a copy of Sam's Sight Unseen. Also two, fabulous. <laughs> two fabulous books for one fabulous <laughs> winner. Be sure to write in for your chance to win. All you have to do is send us an email at feedback at willwriteforwine.com or comment on our website or... We have a whole new sidebar that we're just yes. playing with. You could just uh-huh. click on the girl there sitting there at the top and email yes. us. Easy peasy. Email us. Yes. We will announce the June winner at our first July show. Oh, oh no, wait. We, will, we should have updated we will that. Announce, yeah. Sorry, we that's my announce, fault. I did the script. <laughs> we will announce the July winner I'll at drink. our first August show. Right. So send in your comments and suggestions now. Mm-hmm. Sorry I was drinking for screwing that up and now I'm late on my cue. Okay. Oh, the D block. How I love ye. (laughs) All right. uh, Up next, we have the (laughs) weekly weigh in. All right. You go first, Sam. (laughs) This week, I did zip Zada Zilch. Yay! Yay! This is one of those weeks where we tell all you writers out there that it's okay not to write. It is. And this is coming from me. Yes, from me. and you know if it's coming from Sam. I mean, I'm oh, yeah. lazy as hell. I'll procrastinate all the time. <laughs> but if it's coming from Sam, it's legit. Sometimes it's okay. Yes. <laughs> you got to recharge those batteries. How did you do? I recharged my batteries. This See? Week. I didn't, you know, I have to tell I, you. you I, I don't feel like I didn't do any work this week, and yet mm-hmm. I have nothing to show. I do have, um, I'm doing the copy edits for mm-hmm. Little Ray of Sunshine, so I'm doing that. And I had yeah. some back cover copy work, well, and that's I did a that. Lot, though. I've got children. They're alive. Mm-hmm. So I've and it's summer vacation. Right? Yes, exactly. It's summer yeah. vacation. So yeah. that's, that's my but, excuse but we for were talking about this. doing nothing. <laughs> but we're talking about this and how guilty we feel because we don't write. But, um, you know, both of us are kind of between books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think you have to, I have to think you have to take a little bit of a break sometimes to get one book out 
of your head. Exactly. And uh-huh. the next one to make room for the next one. Right. And I think Except that you just finished your book like two weeks ago and I finished mine three months ago. <laughs> yeah, but now you have the copy edits for it. So it's still I do in your head. I have copy edits and I was working on Dogs and Goddesses and mm-hmm. we did a lot of work for that. And then now I'm yeah. shifting over into this and then I've got another romantic comedy that's kind of on the on the back burner here that I've got to get working on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or my editor will, uh, will get mad at me. But... Um, <laughs> Anyway, our point is, it's okay sometimes. It's okay. Sometimes you're not going to write, and that's all right. Mm-hmm. So. And yeah. now it's time for this. I was drinking. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love the D block. <laughs> oh, we should call it the damn block. The damn block. Exactly. I like the one where we ended every sentence and damn it. Damn it. Yeah, we actually had had emails saying, you should do that all the time. Damn it. (laughs) Damn it. Damn it. D block. All right, go ahead. All right. And now it's time for this week's random Mm -hmm. et cetera segment where we do whatever we feel like because it's our show. Yes. This week we're going to talk about music on our show, our music on our show. Yes. And we want to give special attention to the music we're using and the fabulous artists who allow us to use their stuff. Yes. As a matter of fact, for our incredible theme music, we oh. have Stress from Jim's Big Ego. And which I, has... I'm go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> we both love this song. I do. You found it. I so found it. I found it's... this one and I sent it to Lonnie and I'm like, Lonnie, this is it. And this I listened to it, and I was like, I couldn't believe how perfect. perfect. I mean, yeah. uh, it's just the best song ever. I love ever. that song. It's so perfect for us. <laughs> be sure to check out more of Jim's Big Ego at their website, which the link will be in our show notes. Yes. Yes. And uh, yeah, and you got to listen to the whole song, because the whole song is hysterical. Is so we only I use know. part of it, but it is absolutely <laughs> hysterical. You listen to the whole thing. And I'm oh, sitting yeah. in my chair, I love- and you can't stay, you can't help but like bounce around. I know. It's so great. We should it's have perfect. a We'll Write for Wine soundtrack. Oh. We can do an iMix. I wonder if we can do that on iTunes. We'll oh, let you know. Oh, that'd be fun. That would be fun. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the music under the spot for Sight Unseen mm-hmm. is original music called Raven's Theme, written, played, and produced by my brother, Aww. Tom Disha, who is one of the most talented people I know. Hey, and, uh, Tom. I'm drinking to Tom right now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Who's not only a he's a, he's a great guy and I mm-hmm. absolutely adore my brother and mm-hmm. he's and he's so incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. So um, you know he does his own recordings. He writes his own music. He plays every instrument in his. I mean, he's mm-hmm. unbelievable. He's a studio mm-hmm. musician. He produces you know his own songs. So yeah. so when I was trying to think of something unique to do for Sight Unseen, I realized mm-hmm. that a theme song would work really well for this mm-hmm. book mm-hmm. mostly because of all the action the adventure it's very fast paced mm-hmm. you know so i asked my brother if he would be interested in writing the theme song and mm-hmm. of course he was because he loves Aww. me <laughs> <laughs> then i sent him the book uh which was like a you know a real rough manuscript at that point yeah. along mm-hmm. with the playlist that i had used uh while i was writing it uh-huh. and i told him what i wanted and then mm-hmm. a few months later he gives me this song Aww. that totally blew me away mm-hmm. and it was raven song Mm -hmm. he captured the essence of her character the fast pace the power the energy that she Mm -hmm. possessed the the Mm -hmm. the sure the sureness that she had Mm -hmm. the confidence Mm -hmm. i was absolutely astounded Mm -hmm. so i used it um i put it in the video that i had already created for sight and scene and it dropped in yeah like it was it's made so for perfect. it. It's so perfect. And that's on your MySpace page, right? Yes. And it's also okay. my website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so if great. you mm-hmm. haven't heard this song yet, you can hear it on my website, on mm-hmm. the video. Mm-hmm. But you can also download your own MP3 copy free mm-hmm. from my downloads page on my website. Yay. Yes. And yes, I will be asking him to do one for out of time. <laughs> of course. Oh, dude, I totally would. <laughs> Well, the bed music under the spot for the fortune quilt is mm-hmm. Adrian Pierce's beautiful Lost and Found, <sighs> which is featured on her newest album, Fault Line, which Yay. I got from Adrian this week. And it's yes. freaking fabulous. I've been listening to it all day. <sighs> Me I too. love it. I'm so excited because every book that I write, I make soundtracks for. And I've mm-hmm. got this newest book that I'm, that I'm working on, which is tentatively called 
the second coming of Dottie Malone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it should be really, really fun. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I've got this character who's always in trouble and she's got a really big mouth and she's, but she's very, she's tender and she's got a sweet, you know, heart and she means really, really well. Mm-hmm. And the energy of the book is just such a great match for ah. um, Adrian's um, CD, Fault Line, um, which great? is her new CD that's coming out this year. And um, it's just, it's so great. And Adrian yeah. has got to be the sweetest thing ever. We've been emailing oh. back and forth because I was so excited when we got the CDs. <laughs> she read Fortune Quilt and loved it, and she's so happy to have her song under the um, under the spot that we do for Fortune Quilt. So we're just kind of this mutual admiration society right yeah. now. <laughs> I love her. We're like, I oh my god. So thank you so much, Adrian. You gave me the CD at the most perfect time. Oh, yes, yes. And mm-hmm. it's so hard to find the music that fits the book that you're writing. I know. I'm, I can't mean, believe how perfect that CD yeah. is for this book yeah. that I'm writing. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and and I don't think people understand, like normal people don't understand mm-hmm. how critical mm-hmm. these playlists are for us. Oh, yeah. We can't write a book. of the book and the feel of the book. Yeah. And the, I mean, there's just so much energy in, in yeah. particular songs that you mm-hmm. have to use for that particular character yes and it's hard to find a match i mean i spend days on itunes just picking out the, the right <laughs> songs and figuring everything out and then adrian sends me the cd and it's like having everything dropped in my mm-hmm. lap it's so perfect i can't even mm-hmm. get over it <laughs> well and actually for my books i actually will have a soundtrack for the heroine and then one for the hero right. depending mm-hmm. on whose point of view scene i'm there, that i'm writing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they can be that different you know so but right. it is very important so mm-hmm. so thank you adrian Thank you, Adrian. And under the PSA is Justin mm-hmm. Gordon's Zippolite Rag. Mm-hmm. While the bed music for the website promo is Go Fish by Big Money mm-hmm. Grip. Now, right. I didn't pick these out. Lonnie did. So, Lonnie, mm-hmm. what, what drew you to these two pieces? You know, I gotta say, Zippolite Rag. I have never heard a more perfect song for the for the kind of feel of that really funny PSA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where we suggest a light Chardonnay instead of beating your husband over the head with a garbage can lid, um, which actually is uh, drawn directly from my own experience. So I kind of <laughs> wrote that from my own experience, but. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's such a great song for that. And then there's the, mm-hmm. um, the Go Fish by Big Money Grip. I have to say, Go Fish originally, you know, I was drawn to that because my husband, fish. his nickname is Fish. Yes, <laughs> I thought so. So I saw Go Fish and I thought, oh my God, you know, so I, so I had to give it a listen. Mm-hmm. And then once I listened to it, I thought, oh gosh, it's got that great kind of bouncy, fun energy that goes so mm-hmm. well with Wanda's voice, you know. Yeah. Wanda, who will be doing more PSAs and Yay, stuff for us. Instead of Yay. us. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's fine with us doing them because Wanda, you know, Wanda couldn't do them for us for a while. And we understood she's very busy, you know, and she donates her time and Mm -hmm. she's very good friend (laughs) of mine. She's not getting paid, not even in wine. Exactly. I know. We need to send her some wine. We do. (laughs) But, um, but anyway, so, uh, Wanda couldn't do those and and we had to do a couple of PSAs for, um, for, you know, ourselves and, and Mm -hmm. figure them out. But I, I love when... She's got such a great energy to her voice, and you match yeah. the music up with, with her voice and for what she's talking about and everything. And I, I just felt mm-hmm. that the, the Go Fish by Big Money Grip was such a great match for, for her kind of energy Yeah. Um, when she read the, the website promo. So, yeah, so I just, cool. I just think they, they worked out really, really well. I, I'm amazed mm-hmm. at how good these songs are. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and the fact that everybody goes to, um, you know, all the artists allow us to use their music because they put it up on the, on the um, Podsafe Music Network. Right. Uh, music.podshow.com mm-hmm. um, and uh, with the exception of Tom Deshaw you know yes. who, who Sam you know met when her mom <laughs> brought him home from the hospital so she had a special <laughs> in I had an in with Tom but everybody else we get through the uh, the Podsafe Music Network so we're very excited yeah. about people um, artists making their songs available yes. to amateur you know radio hosts like ourselves mm-hmm. <laughs> who know, drink wine to do all this stuff <laughs> exactly so you can find links to all the artists that we've talked about in our show notes yes and uh, I guess that takes care of this week's random etc it's time I think for so. a refill yes it is <laughs> alright so we'll be right back <laughs> If a half-hour week of Lonnie and Sam isn't enough for you, we've got some suggestions. First, there's LiteraryChicks.com, where Lonnie blogs with fellow writers and hilarious gals Michelle Kuna, Whitney Gaskell, Eileen Rindall, Alicia Holliday, and Beth Kendrick. Every month brings new special guest authors and new giveaways, so stop on by. 
For more Sam, go ahead and click your way on over to SamanthaGraves.com. She's got the latest news, contests, and some great giveaways. There are also links to her blog, her MySpace page, which you got to go there, and the website for her alter ego, C.J. Barry, author of award-winning futuristic romances. So be sure to check out LiteraryChicks.com and SamanthaGraves.com for more from the girls. Well, it's time for last call here on Will Write for Wine. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this week. Be sure to send your wine suggestions to us at feedback at willwriteforwine.com or in the comments on the website. <laughs> I know the comments are really tricky, so maybe just send the email. <laughs> I still haven't gotten the comments fixed. I keep trying. I keep uh, trying, but it's been a uh, it's, it's not you. Mess. It's anyway, not you, send good wine suggestions to Sam. Yay. Me. Send cheap wine <laughs> suggestions to me. Yay, Lonnie. <laughs> Also, don't miss our cool Cafe Press store where you can get all right. sorts of fun Will Write for Wine merchandise. Be the mm-hmm. envy of everyone you know with a Will Write for Wine shirt or apron or hat. Mm-hmm. The link can be found in the right-hand column at the website at willwriteforwine.com. Mm-hmm. Oh, and don't mm-hmm. forget to... <laughs> I'm laying on my cue again. <laughs> and don't forget to vote for us at Podcast Alley. Yay. Your votes count new every month. So uh-huh. if you voted in June, you can vote again. Yes. And you can review us at iTunes also, which is very exciting. Thank you yes. to everybody who has voted and who has reviewed us. And again, Sam made this gorgeous graphic um, on the side of the website now, mm-hmm. which just looks beautiful. So Thank you. it's very easy to just click and do it. And vote. And vote. <laughs> and vote. And next week we're both out of town, so there's no show, but we'll be back Mm -hmm. on the 20th with 50 Ways to Leave Your Manuscript, Productive Procrastination. Right, and I am sure we'll be discussing Bubble Shooter. (laughs) (laughs) There'll be no drinking games, probably. Definitely, (laughs) definitely no drinking games. And by the way, I will be at the RWA, Romance Writers of America National Conference next week in Dallas. So if Uh you are going, please stop by at the Literacy Signing uh, on Wednesday at the Hyatt Regency and say hi. The first Mm -hmm. person who tells me they listen to Will Write for Wine will win a gorgeous Will Write for Wine coaster. I'll even sign it. (laughs) Ooh, how very cool. Be sure to bring your Sharpie. (laughs) All right. So until next week, this is Lonnie. And this is Sam, saying if you can't write for money, (laughs) (laughs) then scrub the podcast. All right. (laughs) We're both off our game tonight. We are. All right. I have to close. Then write for wine. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) We'll write for wine is brought to you every week by Lottie Diane Rich and Samantha Graves. Visit us at willwriteforwine.com where you can find show notes, news about what we're up to, and sign up for email notification when a new show is available. And don't forget to friend us on MySpace at myspace.com slash willwriteforwine. Music provided by the good folks at the Podsafe Music Network, music.podshow.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends. Go vote for us on Podcast Alley. Leave a glowing review in iTunes. Or just send us a note. Really, we'll take pretty much anything. Because aside from wine and writing, we don't have a lot going on here at Will Write for Wine. And whenever you vote, leave a nice comment. We get very, very happy. So take a minute out of your day and make our whole week. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you here next time on Will Write for Wine. It's not morning anymore, so I have a diet cola and another diet cola. But then I'm feeling fine and I'm feeling pretty sharp and I'm feeling pretty wired and I'm getting things done. But right about two, I get this little tiny migraine. It starts by my eyes and it moves to the back of my neck.